One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/spoken today. You are listening to Mist Apex podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Red Bull Power Pains. That provided by Engine Mode 11 on Twitter and runner-up from Richard Burroughs was Red Bull Power Flames. That's two puns. See, I'm not anti-pun, but I am your host, Richard Spanners Ready. Welcome to the Australian Race Review. Bleary-eyed Europeans set alarms and dripped coffee into their veins while Americans stoically chugged Budweiser into the night to watch F1's return to Australia. And I spent the night on the sofa in an attempt to avoid my spouse's early morning wrath. And then my 5am buzzer buzzed. And I thought, this had better be brilliant. And you know what? For an Albert Park race, it was pretty good. Let's explore why. So coming up, we'll ask... Albert Park, interesting Grand Prix or street procession saved by safety cars? Uh, We'll ask, are the Ferraris on a path to glory? And can Red Bull keep the wheels on their wagon? Have Mercedes damage limited enough? And did Pirelli get the tyre selection wrong? And I'll ask, are you fed up of F1's billionaire club? We're an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Because I can't shake him, I'm joined as I so often am by Matt Two Rumpets. I'm currently practicing holding my breath for the entirety of my upcoming eight-hour transatlantic flight. I'm convinced this is possible. You can't get away with catching COVID coming to Britain, and you sound all rough and sexy voice-wise already. We're joined by Christian Pedersen. Hello, Christian. Good evening. I'm I'm happy we had a good race today because we better get to see any of the, any of the front runners on the main feed. So, at least there was racing down the pack, and we're also joined uh, recently from trackside by Jonathan Simone. Hello, Jono. 
Yes, it was great to be at the track. Uh, a good four hours sleep a night for about four nights straight. I can't get my voice ready for this one. We're going to try and last 90 minutes to two hours. Let's see how we go. Shouting uh, in support of Daniel Ricardo, no doubt. No, 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 definitely not. Um, look, well done to him. Great job. But, you know, I'm there for, for Hamilton all the way, uh, <laughs> supporting him, doing his best job. So that's who I'm with. Okay, and that's that's my job here as host, to collect Hamilton fans from around the world. No, that yep. was not the aim at all. But uh, let's just talk about what we thought of the race. And right up front, I just want to clarify something for those who might have started watching recently and haven't seen many Australian Grand Prix, or more specifically, Albert Park Grand Prix. This has never been a representative track, which is why I, I never liked it as the season opener, Jono. And I don't want that. I don't mean that to be sort of anti-Australian in any way, but it's it's always thrown up weird results. So in a way, I think it's much better placed as race three to give us something different to look at. Um, but with all the, the, the tracks coming up, there's loads of different tracks as well. So this has just added to not really knowing exactly where the order is. That, that That's true. But also, I personally enjoy it as round number one, um, not in terms of the racing, but just in terms of the atmosphere and capturing Formula One for that first round as a flyaway. Holding the race in April is very, very weird. Uh, luckily, we got the best of the weather because I know today, like it's 5 a.m. here where we've already got rain. It's pretty uh... much going to rain all day. We just missed that by about 24 hours, 17, <laughs> 16 degrees Celsius terrible weather and you see this is the downside of holding melbourne as the third race um but you're right you know what great track great atmosphere at least it's back on the calendar see see matt so just because has were rubbish here doesn't mean i was actually right in my pre-season predictions uh, but it also doesn't mean mclaren have recovered either so you know i just i just just want to caution people to kind of just hold back a little bit from drawing wild conclusions whilst we spend the next hour drawing wild conclusions oh well wild conclusions are what we live for but uh yeah you'd be you'd be correct uh to not write haas off after a single bad race where one of their two drivers was sick for a big chunk of practice and mclaren themselves have said that they feel like their form is very track specific and Mm. i would just put it to you that the upcoming race at imola might see some revision in that order christian don't forget that Haas usually do pretty well at the old Australian track. Uh, remember uh, both Kevin and Romain, they were like four or fifth when they both did pit errors a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. So yeah. normally the old Australian track would suit the Haas car. Today, I wouldn't say it suited the Haas car. So something's different on the Haas car, definitely. Or the track has changed. Uh, but Christian, while we're with you, it was it was quite, kind of like a, an old-style classic Grand Prix today. It feels like the regulations, what they did with the track, what they eventually settled on with the DRS, it all combined to be good for an Albert Park race, but it definitely had a feel of like a an early 2000s race. Definitely. I think, uh, I think first of all, the fact that we see grass makes it old school in, in our minds. <laughs> yeah, and maybe. I love the fact that both Steins and it was it Kevin who, who did a, a, a turn nine grass yes. trip. It, uh, and it actually took uh, Steins out the grass. So the grass does one thing. You're, the, the fact that it's Melbourne, you have all these people that invading the track, it also makes it a bit more old schoolish. I don't think in per se the track is old school in its layout form. It's very similar to other tracks in a lot of it doesn't have anything that stands out. So, yeah, I mean, 
What, what, what it didn't have was cars getting stuck. And I think in the last two races, we've seen the DRS really dominating and making it what it's all about. Whereas here, I didn't quite get that sense. The odd DRS past Jono was um, overpowered into turn three. But generally, you had cars being able to race. This is the type of racing, personally, I enjoy. Not too easy, not too hard, bit of everything, great battles. We had a train, you know, we had people mm. forcing each other wide, all this argy-bargy. But remember two weeks ago, we spoke in the race review about how we thought DRS was too easy. You know, some of the battles weren't as, they, they were modern day type of battles. Yeah. These are the type of old school battles we got, but we got them in quantity now. We didn't get them in the you know quantity about 15 years ago where it was two overtakes a race. Yeah, so this makes me hopeful for maybe Barcelona can produce a, a race at least as good as this. Maybe Hungaro Ring will produce a better race than it might normally deliver. Uh, Monaco? No, not Monaco. Uh, but anyway, let's get to this race and where the race was won and lost. Well, I, th- I think, Matt, we have to focus at the front and the Ferraris. And what you'd said to me pre-show was where you pointed out basically the comment where Ferrari, who looked like they had dominated, and Leclerc, who looked like he was uh, chomping at the bit to go faster and faster and faster, were managing the pace. Yeah, he almost gave his pit wall a stroke when he was like, can I come in and get soft tires? And they're like, you already have fast lap and there's no one faster than you on track now. Can, can we but, risk another pit stop? Can I? Can we finish third and fourth as well? Can we? No! C- calm down, Charles. Everything's going well. Take deep breaths, my friend. Yeah, no, I think the race weekend was over as soon as Ferrari unpacked their car, quite frankly. They were on it from a setup point of view. They had the pace. Even in quali, where Red Bull was quicker looking until Verstappen couldn't keep it quite on track those times and Alonso looked quicker but he couldn't keep it on track I mean there's a certain thing to keeping it on track and then being very very fast in the race and Ferrari seemed to have absolutely dialed that in one thing I've noticed about this season so far and I hope this continues because is that qualifying doesn't always give you now the best indication of of how things are going to shake out in a race you can see teams either set up for one or another it reminds me of 2013 when the Mercedes were like on pole by like eight nine seconds sometimes but then it would just disappear and teams stopped trying to qualify on pole. So we might see a little bit of, of that coming up this season. But I think it was interesting, Matt, that as soon as we got into that stint one with Verstappen behind and you go, oh, he's just holding one second. Oh, that's two seconds now. Oh, no, he's no, he's not holding at all. He cannot keep up. And it's scary to think if that was Ferrari in cruise mode even then. Um, but it could just be as well that, that Red Bull just weren't, dealing with the tie as well yeah well i think there was a comment from press afterwards that the setup they chose was very hard on the tires and the removal of that first part of the second drs zone so there were two in the front two in the back the removal of the first one in the back i think really disadvantaged some of the teams especially the teams that chose lower downforce setups and red bull would definitely be one of those Uh, okay so i i actually obviously i was at the track this weekend and when you actually walk to that new section where they canceled the corner, they pretty much just straight line it now. It's not really a straight. And so when I saw them add that as a, as a DRS zone in, in the track details, I thought, wow, like that, that, that can't be a DRS zone. There's no way you're going to turn, you're going to crash into the wall. And obviously they've removed it for yeah. safety reasons. And I agree with them. It was not a straight. So what would it have done? What would we have seen if they had, apart from the crashes, what would we have seen if they'd have kept that fourth zone? 
Well, I think you would have seen a lot more overtaking and swapping back and forth between the back straights and the front straights. Uh, but specifically, the reason why I think the high downforce teams were advantaged by it is because they have a higher apex speed and exit. So they would have been using less of their energy, their electrical energy, to accelerate into that first part of the DRS zone and been saving it for the second part of the second part of that zone. Whereas if I'm a low downforce team, I need to make up that time as quickly as possible. So I'm spending all my energy coming out of that corner trying to catch. But now I have extra drag. And about the time I catch up to them, my high downforce team is now running their battery and just getting away from me. I think so you, I think it was a real it was a real challenge for the teams to figure that out at I, the last second. I apologize to anyone who's struggling to concentrate on what Matt is saying when his voice just sounds like that. I'm just I'm hypnotized. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Christian. I mean, we we did see a DRS train at the uh, was it around like lap 40 or something when Alonso and Magnuson had to do their pit stop. And if we see a DRS train with three DRS zones, I mean, it, it, just a, a train of cars where the, fir, the, the, the leading one just won't let anyone pass. I, I think four DRS zones would be maybe just making it a bit too, uh, yeah, not trustworthy somehow. And uh, I'm not saying we should go away with the DRS or anything like that, but I don't think we should forget that no one understands the tires yet. And I, I know it's early about the tires and stuff yeah. like that, and we're talking about something else, but <laughs> tires still plays a, a big part. So uh, Ferrari saying uh, the tires were just perfect. That is, I think, the most unsettling part about this entire race, not the DRS zones. You know what would have solved the DRS trains? We spoke about this two weeks ago the push-to-pass thing, yeah. where you have a limited amount exactly. of, of DRS usage. And now you don't have... By the way, at the track, I, I don't even know who it was, but there were like six cars stuck in a train at the end of the race. Was that the um, the Bottas sort of train with yeah. Zoe and everybody else? Stroll, yeah. yeah, like you don't have that anymore because now they're not all trapped behind behind Mr. Stroll. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. So, but there was there was room for racing. And I think there was a particular set of circumstances um, that, that led to Stroll being there and, and holding everybody up. Um, but let's focus on Ferrari at the moment, because I think we've all used similar terms like scary, frightening, alarming. Uh, they were obviously ahead in Bahrain. Uh, they were right in the mix, but probably the second best combination in uh, Saudi Arabia. But here, my goodness, there was there, re- there was really no doubt. And I don't think it is raw pace i think the tires and how they were able to interact with it played a huge part but but go on, matt no i was going to say because red bull did have graining in fact yeah. we saw it in the perez hamilton battle we'll talk about later that perez just eventually came back to hamilton as his tires went off so red bull really did struggle with tires today yeah it still looks ominous but when you've got a team like that that nails together a weekend and it is going to fluctuate from weekend to weekend obviously the the driver teammate battle comes into a sharp focus. So that's where I, I want to go next. Without doubt, Charles Leclerc seemed to just pull off a, a perfect race weekend. That kind of weekend, when you see someone pick up a title, a, a Vettel, a Hamilton, um, a Verstappen, just, just going out there and, and getting the result when you have the dominant car. Last season, we kind of saw two teams. We saw Verstappen and Hamilton going through phases with the dominant car. You have to, you have to still go and collect it. And if you go to 2017, 2018... When Vettel had those periods where he he had a chance to go away and disappear, you know he wasn't delivering. So having the best card isn't a nailed on 
a world championship or a nailed on championship lead. But Leclerc was uh, was devastatingly consistent, Matt. And it must have hurt Carlos Sainz. In fact, you could see it hurt Carlos Sainz. Mediocre weekends so far. I'm sure you're going to put uh, a load of mitigating circumstances at me. I'm sure you are. But there is a trend starting to emerge and it is not in Carlos Sainz's favour. Well, I would, of course, argue that the Melbourne result is a lot more of an outlier than the first two results. He had uh, a load of hampering, including bad luck and quality with the uh, red flags, yep. where he lost his first lap in Q3. He had an engine issue for his second run, meaning he didn't get out on time. Jono's not loving this. Right? Yeah, and then he had also <laughs> a steering wheel issue. Um at the start of today's race where they had to actually replace his wheel with one minute left before the formation lap. Now, I think the thing with Carlos too is these cars are very different to the previous season's cars. And I I wouldn't argue if you said Leclerc adapted better. He absolutely Mm. has adapted better to these cars. But it was a step backwards for Carlos this weekend and when he could least afford it. And I would agree with you there. So let's add two more excuses because I had two more things. Anti-stall off the line as well, which is why he went from like ninth to 14th straight away. And because of the, the bad luck in qualifying, he then got put on the alternate strategy of having the hards, which have looked at actually, they've looked a nightmare when cold all season long so far. So being on those hards obviously then led to to his uh, incident where I mean that's worth exploring that now basically he came out of the he came out from behind a car uh, looked the car then looked unsettled lost the back a little bit ended up on the grass and then really was out of control by the t- time he came back on track so really lucky not to just collect another car because we've seen those go wrong but when me and Matt were listing those racing driver mitigations both uh, Jono and Christian seemed to be disagreeing so Jono <laughs> uh, okay Spanos, remember last year, we were you mm. and I were on the camp of Leclerc was by far way better mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. Carlos Sainz last year, and we were yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. with pitchforks chased yeah, yeah, at the top, yeah, yeah. like at my front of my house. I could not go shopping for a few weeks. No, that did not happen. <laughs> no, but it was but, it was you and me versus all this lot, all versus Matt and all the rest yeah. of them. Yeah, yeah. So, so last year. Now, don't get me wrong, Carlos Sainz. Obviously, he's great and he's a good talent and all this kind of stuff. But Leclerc last year, if you just look at why Sainz outscored him you saw that Leclerc was the better driver and it's proven itself this year. Yeah, the cars are different. Yeah, there's different changes. But, but you know, a performance like this today, do you really get that out of a world champion for someone? Yeah, he's had a poor start. Yeah, he got bad luck in qualifying. But then to overcook it and lose himself mentally, you, you just don't get that, you know, at the start of a race from a guy who's going to win a world championship, really. I know Matt wants to come back in, but man bun first. Uh, Christian first, I'm going to say uh, science needs to hit like a hard wall to 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 get to the bottom to be able to rebuild and refocus and really do it. And if anyone can do it, I'm sure it's Carlos Science Jr. because he's an excellent driver. Uh, actually, I put my money on him him last uh, last year, but this year, seeing what Charles Leclerc is doing in that Ferrari. You have Formula One, the the front leading teams. You have the 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 back grid, and then you have Leclerc. He's he's basically in a league of his own. Maybe uh, you see Verstappen's uh, challenging him, but Max Verstappen, he is considered the world's best driver. So I mean, I think we're just seeing the package just coming together with Charles Leclerc and Ferrari. All right, citation. You should be afraid. No, I'm not going to bite. I'm not going to bite, Matt. Well, I would I would simply say that the difference between last year and this year with regards to the Ferrari car is that 
Leclerc has the margin he needs to be able to drive like that. Last season, it made him inconsistent. This season, he has the performance advantage and can, t- and can use it in a way he couldn't last season. And I think that does put signs at a disadvantage because when you're talking about getting out to the yeah. very edge of the envelope, I think Leclerc is going to be your guy. But I, te- I tell you what, Matt, you know, and I don't want to make it seem like I'm anti-Carlos signs in any way. That is a very high bar for Leclerc. So, for example, when people are getting excited about, I don't know, George Russell, for example, uh, up against uh, Stroll. Was he against Stroll for a bit? And then against um, Latifi? Or was, he, was it Latifi the whole time? Uh, oh, no. And then Kubica as well. Or Schumacher against Mazepin. You go, that's not a very high bar to compare yourself to. But Leclerc isn't looking good against some mug. He's looking good against Carlos Sainz Jr., uh, which is putting into context probably how good the start for this season is. Yeah, mm. it absolutely is, because Sainz is, is one, of, one of the best and most adaptable talents on the grid, as we've seen uh, him do pretty well against every other highly rated driver he's been up against. Okay, so look, we, before this becomes a Charles Leclerc love-in, was he first in Bahrain, second in Saudi? first here dominantly so as well is there any chinks in the armor at the moment i thought that his mental approach and his kind of self-deprecating attacking himself might be something that holds him back but so far we're not seeing any sign of it at all jono and and i think they got the quickest car too so he's yeah, got that yeah. bonus you know three fastest laps as well don't forget so he's on 71 points not 68 you're right about the self-deprecation thing I think sometimes it's good to be hard on yourself and, and he knows how to handle himself best mentally, but now he's grown out of it. He's matured. He's getting older. He's getting better. He, 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 he's getting more confident. Things are becoming second nature to this guy mentally in this sport. And I think you're looking right now, and I know it's very early to call because this could be a 2009-like season, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he, we know. He could, he's definitely favorite for the world championship. you got to say. Oh, right easily. now. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. And, and whilst we're still expecting, we'll talk about Mercedes and Red Bull's troubles, I'm still expecting those to be ironed out and for them to be very strong. But I would, I would take the 40-point lead right now or whatever he's got on George Russell. He's got a 40-point lead over the third or fourth fastest car. So, so I, I would take that. I'd be looking at the gap back to Verstappen in sixth place if I was Charles Leclerc at the moment. And, and that's looking incredibly healthy as well. But Rob Asher just said, if anyone sees and can rally, it's Carlos Sainz. And that's in our patron live chat. Hello, patron live chat. Thank you for your support. Uh, the hope I would try and take away, not try and take away, is that Ferrari have history in in backing a horse, in backing one of their, their team. And I think already, if you're Ferrari team management, and you're not as good at developing in season historically as Red Bull and Mercedes, you're going to start pouring resources at one car. And I feel like Carlos Sainz might already have missed that boat. Too dramatic, Matt? Uh, It's a little early yet because there's so many points left on the board. But I would say that if we get to summertime and it's still looking like this, then you're going to increasingly see the car go the direction Leclerc wants it to go. No, all right. Any any more on uh, Ferrari? I mean, it was such a dominant performance. It's almost hard to add to it, isn't it? Jono. Well, I, I, the gap is 34 points between him and Russell. Now, if he sat out the next two races, would he still lead the world championship? Because I'm thinking like, all right, maybe science. Does he win both races? He hasn't been the number one driver. Verstappen's had him most races, you know, so maybe Verstappen picks up a couple wins. I, imagine if Leclerc sat out Imola sat out the race after and he'd still lead the world championship. That's how yeah. big his lead is. It's possible. Yep. Christian. 
I might be repeating myself just a tiny bit, but uh, during the pre-race show, uh, Alexander Albon and Landon Norris was joined in an interview and had like a bit of chatter, really uh, entertaining, by the way. But Albon just looked into the camera because he did 56 laps on the house, right? He looked into the camera and said, everyone's lost. No one knows the tires. No one knows what to do on their outlaps, he said. So... If this is true, and this is how the drivers uh, talk to each other among among each other, they tell them uh, maybe not into details, but everyone's just uh, relating their experiences on the tires. And if that is the, the the mantra, and Ferrari can do this twenty second lead after two safety cars, and on the radio go, tires were perfect. I mean, yeah. that is the key, I think. Yeah, well, that was Leclerc's quote after the race. There was no, we had no graining. And that would make them probably about the only team that did. And just to make it a little bit more piquant, supposedly they've not really turned their power unit up yet. I don't, no, 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 that's gross. Stop, Stop it. it, Matt. You can't yeah, say that. Yeah, enough. That's enough, come on. Look, can... oh, we have to end this Ferrari segment. <laughs> also, yeah, like a trigger warning before you're going <laughs> to say things like that. But let's look ahead at the calendar. You know, we're just talking about, uh, you know, has Leclerc sewn it up? You know, we've, we've handed him the title. Uh, so I- Imola is like a, a more of a, an old school uh, classic track. I think it will it will operate very differently to what we saw in uh, in in Albert Park. And then we go to Miami, which is a complete unknown street circuit. Uh, Barcelona, which seems tends to be a good indicator uh, of who has the kind of best overall package. Then we have the fast at Monaco, another street circuit at Azerbaijan, and then you've got Canada and then Silverstone. So all the way up to race ten, you're probably going to see flip flopping. If cars are are having track before track related and track specific performance, Jono. So <laughs> he could literally win Imola. This is Leclerc, and then sit out Miami and just go to the beach. That's one option. <laughs> he won't do that, obviously. The one thing I'm actually intrigued by now. You mentioned Spain. I know it's look. Yeah. We're looking a bit ahead here, but okay. Let's say Ferrari and Red Bull are still the quickest cars come Barcelona. But remember when we sometimes head to Monaco. And one team tends to be a surprise over another at Monte Carlo. And I'm thinking with the porpoising issues is that if Mercedes don't solve them, is that a track they can take out due to the lower mm, speeds? It's I possible. don't know. I don't know. Mercedes always seem to just suck at Monaco and uh, Hamilton as well seems to, relative to his teammates, seems to suck at Monaco. So, uh, hey, look, let, let, me, let, let me deal with Monaco when we get to Monaco. Come on, man. That's May. Give me, give me a chance. Give me some time off. Let's move on down the grid a little bit to Red Bull. Okay, so uh, obviously, we'll, where do we start, Matt? Let, let's start with before the issues, and let's start with Verstappen because he was still he was still a bit racy against Leclerc. I don't know if ultimately even getting past him, you know, if if getting past him, he, he would have been able to hold that. But initially, he was able to to go at it. There was a moment after the safety car restart when. Uh... When Leclerc didn't have his tires fully warmed and where it looked like Verstappen might be able to get ahead of him. I don't think they had the tire wear today to make to make that stick, but there definitely would have been a battle as Leclerc tried to retake that position. And as you know, overtaking can be dangerous. So we could have seen a different result. Um, but that's if we ignore the fact that his car didn't actually finish the race, which I think is your bigger problem here. No, that is the bigger problem. But even before the the, the car went pop, you could see that the performance difference wasn't there. And then there's a distinct you know change in tone, I think, between Verstappen last season 
where he was the the underdog, if you like, coming through and, and everything was a bonus. Whereas now he's world champion. They, he's in the top team. He's got the number one on his car. And you can you can feel a bit of a disappointment and frustration, Christian, when, when things aren't going well. And you hear the, the you know, the, the problem starts culminate. If you're out front and you've got a bit of graining, you don't really worry about it too much. When you see the car just getting a, 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 a dot up ahead, suddenly some left graining becomes like, ah, oh, this is another thing. I remember we talked about this last time I was on, and there's something about how Max Verstappen drives uh, Charles Leclerc. He's It's like he's on 90%, whereas last year on Hamilton, he was on 110%. And I'm not sure if it has to do with the car, how it drives. Uh, it has to do maybe mentally he knows the Ferrari is just faster, and last year he, he was of the thinking that the Red Bull was faster. Or if it's how the car, I mean... I can't figure out what it is, but it's like maybe it's the past. Charles Leclerc for stopping the recording incident. It was an incident, as Charles Leclerc called it. I can't figure it out, but there's something there. I, I, I think I, I might put it down a little bit to race direction. We don't know exactly what they've been told. But I think that might be playing a part in it as well. But Jono? I think that's a part of it, but I also think a lot of people are forgetting, and I should have mentioned this two weeks ago, is that he has one world championship now. He's not racing like he has something to prove. Remember back when we were all younger? Well, ironically, I'm still younger. Yeah, you're I'm like two. Yeah. Fight to make mm. it. But like, it might, like, for example, me, for example, I'm always pushing. I'm trying to make it. Yeah, you're, you're getting more agitated. You're, you're really trying to fight for stuff. Once you achieve something really high, you, you're comfortable now with your career. Mm. And you, it doesn't mean you back off or you're complacent. It just means you're able to approach your career more calmly. And maybe that's why he's able to race Leclerc a bit differently because he has a world championship now. He's not fighting for it anymore. Uh, well, okay. Yes, it doesn't feel like they're fighting for it at the minute. Christian? Can, can I make just a short comment on it? Because I, this is a theory and this is far out and stuff like that. But my, my theory is the reason why Hamilton is really fast is because in his entire life, the only way he could prove his worth was on the track. So that is what is built into him. For Max Verstappen, the only way he could get love from his dad was by being fast on the oh, wow. in a go-kart. <laughs> that is basically what you saw. So when now he's done it. So I, th- I have a feeling I'm, I'm obviously exaggerating, but <laughs> But still, there's an element of truth to it. So yeah. now he's proved it. Now him and his dad, they can basically, it's like they opened the Coke bottle that was shaken. <laughs> and that's how it, I'm not saying he's not thirsty anymore, but I do think that does play a bit of a the role. The image I'm getting in my head is after they won the world championship and they find he's finally won his father's approval that just, just turned to him and just nodded slightly with approval. And that was enough. To, to that, was, that was, they knew that they had reached that point in their relationship. Uh, but in, in this race, Matt, um, and, in, and in qualifying as well, we're starting to see maybe some of the challenges that Max Verstappen is having to go through. He was struggling in qualifying in that final rear section, where just not being able to get the fronts to bite, and then that's hampering him all down the, the straight. And, and we've seen him not dominating Perez in qualifying as well, which, which I feel is more, more down to... Well, it's probably a combination of both, but it's more down to Verstappen not being able to get that ultimate edge than Perez suddenly leaping all the way up to his level. Yeah, well, it's an interesting thing to note that um, it's always been said that Verstappen likes a very pointy car, a very sharp front end. And if there's one thing these cars don't have this season, it's that. And he, in fact, uh, trialed a new front wing on Friday 
that wound up on Perez car on Saturday because it didn't turn in as well as the old wing is my assumption. I haven't been able to confirm that because for some reason, Christian Horner not getting back to me. <laughs> okay. But also, you know, Perez is the lead driver now on points. So maybe that's why he got the new front wing and the yeah, Verstappen didn't. And, and don't be reversing that joke when we get to the Mercedes bit. All right. Because oh, no, oh, that's coming back at me real fast. But, Verstappen obviously still pushing, still finding his way, you know, in this in this different performing car. So that will be a, a sign. How well he adapts will be added to his legacy. And you, you, they say that the best drivers will adapt to whatever car is is thrown at them. It's only race three, so probably foolish to bet against Verstappen to find a way to drive around it. Ah, good. We're all betting on Verstappen to find a way around it. That's excellent. But we can get to we can get to some of the, the problems then with the Red Bull powertrain or the fuel line or the whatever. Christian Horner says that these faults they're having, and in my head I'm including Perez locking his rears in Bahrain, uh, Gasly chugging to a halt or being on fire in Bahrain. Didn't Sonoda also... Uh, conk out in qualifying at Saudi Arabia. So there's lots and lots of Red Bull power-related issues. Christian Hornus is saying that they're all different and unrelated. So he's either covering up... See, this is my conspiracy theory, Matt, was that he was covering up that they're doing something spicy and sneaky and it's going wrong and causing lots of problems. So to detract from that, they're saying, oh, no, 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 they're not related. It's all a bunch of different problems. If it genuinely is a bunch of different problems, that's... I think that's worse. Yeah, I would I would tend to agree with you. I do think that the problem that uh, Verstappen had in today's race was substantially different to the previous one he had. But um, just for fun, I'm going to read a list of parts to you okay, now. Okay, go on, go on. Oh, um, here we go. Car one, auxiliary radiator, LHS deflector, fuel cell, loom, clutch actuator, gearbox hydraulic system and actuators, clutch breakout box, parameter changes with clutch actuator, blah, blah. Car 11, auxiliary radiator. The first car I read was what they changed on Verstappen's car in Park Ferme. The second was what they changed in Checo's car. Now, to me, that suggests that they may not be running the power units entirely the same between the two cars. And if I think about it on the grid, there's only one other other manufacturer that that I've seen similar results from, which is two DNFs-ish out of three races. And that would be Alonso and Ocon at Alpine, where Alonso has had a whole peck of PU problems. And Ocon's had virtually none. So they may not be running the engines the same way. And this may be why we're seeing a more aggressive approach for Verstappen's power unit, because he's chasing Leclerc and they don't quite have the car to do it yet. It's always been the trend at Red Bull to give uh, to favor uh, Verstappen on the, on new elements. And it's always been the reason why it's been very difficult to judge like Alban, Gasly and all those, it's always been difficult when we don't know the facts, basically. So no, if you have one no. car running half a second faster only on arrow, it's it's impossible to adjust the driver. So I was... Uh, imagine if they had to tell us this. <laughs> I would think that would be a good element. I know they are trying to do something with all the cars being shown in Parc Ferme and and the technical technical directors have to tell everyone what's new on the cars and stuff like that, but no one's actually doing. I think the only ones who did it uh, at the first race was Mercedes, who got into detail, and everyone was 
no, there's a little blue there and a little green there, and that's it. But they have to <laughs> they should tell us this because this is a sport for the fans. It's based on the fans. So if we knew that uh, Verstappen had a car that was that had a new front wing and new da la 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 la, would be easier for judge, but to judge. But basically, I'm just taking it from no, my but it's view, good because course. we get to wildly speculate, and then the team people that listen in to podcasts and stuff can can laugh at us. So okay, laugh exactly. at this, laugh at this. So there's two competing theories here in our and we are a bit into conspiracy theory stuff here matt so the one oh, you're, the one you're positing is the old uh, mclaren 2012 is hamilton a car wrecker why are all his engines blowing up is it a way he pushes the engine so we're kind of saying oh is verstappen pushing the engine in a special way is alonso wrecking his by doing uh, certain bits and bobs well that to me that seems a little bit far-fetched that you can drive so much in one way that you wreck your power unit parts much more than your teammate. I think the the more likely one, the more likely, and it's still a conspiracy theory, is if we compare it to, say, last season, where I wildly speculated, and I think I'm right, that Mercedes were using George Russell's car to experiment on future engine upgrades or, or, to, or to push it in ways and see if, if uh, oh, is that good enough to go on Hamilton's car? The, the fault today that Verstappen had, very similar to how Gasly conked out in Bahrain, you know, just you know, pulling over to the side and then it catches fire at the back. Um, so I, I wonder if they've kind of got a, using Perez as like the control, <laughs> and then they're trying things with Verstappen and Gasly. Yes, well, I think they would try it with Gasly, think they fixed it, and give it to and Verstappen, it to, Verstappen to chase yeah. Leclerc and, and give Perez the more consistent engine where the parameters aren't as close to what they consider the margins. Okay. So I think uh, that's that's pretty much it for Verstappen's race. Just briefly now, just on the two the teammates here, because if you remember in Bahrain, obviously I'm a Perez fan, so I'll say that, and then you can put my comments in context. I, I don't believe in hiding our biases. I believe in just, yeah, pull your pants down and show us everything. So, yes, I am a Perez fan, and I think in Bahrain I saw... I saw hope, and it wasn't that I saw anything spectacular. I saw a lack of the things that were holding him back last season. So a lack of the desperation that was causing mistakes, like the sprint race at Silverstone, uh, a lack of the ultimate qualifying pace, um, and and also, you know, just a little bit more, you know, a lack of confidence and just, just feeling more confident in his own skin. So Bahrain looked really positive. Obviously, the pole at Saudi looked strong all the way through qualifying, you know, until the very end uh, at Q in Q3. But in the race today, once he got past Hamilton, the pace was very good. And obviously we're in a bit of a tyre-saving management phase where we're there. But he wasn't getting dropped down the grid. He wasn't getting lost in the pack. The persistent fault that, he's, that, that frustrates me as a Perez fan reared its head today, which is starting softly. And, and he backed off an awful lot. Because Verstappen really did just cut across his nose and go, hey, teammate, nice to see you up here. But uh, if you continue down that path, we're going to crash and just, you know, chopped across him. Perez had to lift off and and then let Hamilton by. I think, you know, he, he does tend to lose out on the starts. And that disguised a lot of his pace and potential last season. But I'm seeing things, Jono. I'm seeing that gap close. And as a as a fan, I'm I'm a little happier. Definitely. There were you know, people who associated the previous Red Bull before the rule changes as very difficult to drive. And that's why Perez is maybe finding this one easier to drive and easier to match Verstappen. 
I do disagree on the fact that, you know, he was running away with it. You know, at one point, the Mercedes caught him at the end of the first stint. Now, I was at the track, so I didn't catch everything, but I'm yeah, assuming yeah. that's because of tire wear and graining. Yeah, so, so Perez yeah. was struggling. But, but Verstappen yep. and, and Perez and were Perez struggling. And Perez compared to each other. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, in that sense, you know, there's nothing much else to say. You know, Sergio Perez right now is as interesting as, as a jar of salt. And it's, it's, <laughs> He's he's just getting the job done, and he's getting his fourth places and his third places. Well, hang on a minute, he would. Uh, he w- if, if you all could see Spanner's face, <laughs> <laughs> he knew he should have won the last race. He got he, he was very unlucky with well, the safety car. Should have, should have. Oh, I mean, you never know. Would he have held for a first place? You I'm know, that's say the yes. other question. That's what I'm going to say, John. Possible, Matt. They're being mean. Uh, I think they're being a bit mean. <laughs> um, the argument about Perez consistency. Is Feels held that. up by the fact that he's leading. Uh, he's third in the drivers now, uh, behind Russell and Leclerc, of course. He's second, actually. Is he second? No, I think yeah. I think he's third. I think he is third. Third. Yes. Incorrect challenge, Christian. Uh, Russell's wait. second at the moment. No, Perez is fourth, isn't he? He's on thirty points. He is oh, fourth. He's fourth. No, yeah. Oh, he's Charles behind Sainz. Russell, Sainz, yes, yeah, yeah. Perez. I'm glad we spent all the time sorting that out. <laughs> Welcome to uh, reading stuff off the internet with Missed Apex Podnut podcast. Anyway, Matt, continue. <laughs> yeah, um, he's doing a really great job. And I think you're correct. He has a confidence now and a comfort that is seeing him quietly challenge Verstappen in a way that doesn't set yeah. off any alarm bells, which I think is particularly um uh, mature of him, and we certainly have seen him at other teams not be able to to deal as easily with it. So it's a sign of how much he has grown and how much of a threat I think he really might be to Verstappen this year, where I still feel like the, the basic understeery slow speed nature of the cars really suits his driving style better than Verstappen's. Okay, I'm going to say something in a minute, but here's a uh, old misery guts Perez hater uh, Simon to say to more things. <laughs> Go on. Okay, he's five points ahead of Verstappen, and he has one DNF. Verstappen hasn't finished more races than he has this season, and he's only five points behind. So, okay, Perez is good. Let's not trash him too much. But again, <laughs> why is this a conversation? I know that we're doing this for the podcast, but Verstappen's better. Leave it. We're, we're, we're gonna. I never said. This will never I be ne- revisited. I never said you know? Perez is, is an out and out better driver or is going to beat Verstappen. However, mm-hmm. a, a whole lot more positive. Wins are definitely yes, on yes. the table. Podiums are on the table. But if you want to see whether he is winning that career battle to get ahead of Verstappen or equal to Verstappen in the hearts and minds of the team, yeah, you want to be the number one driver and getting them behind you, developing for you. When he won in Baku, it was like a funeral at Red Bull and he's like <laughs> quietly trying to celebrate and go in oh it's such a shame oh sorry oh sorry for everyone but quietly like I won the Grand Prix today again on the radio like Matt saying he doesn't want to get their attention too much so he was like oh first thing he said shame for Max oh unlucky but you know I got my second Christian Horner sounded like he sounded like he was dragged to the team radio it's worth going and listening yeah well done good job good job Checo second yeah really good great can I can I go this now? is was true this is was very true I thought that exact myself. Yeah, uh, so it's mad. But anyway, we'll see. We'll see if he can stealth his way up the grid a bit. Jono, it, it happened. Remember when they won the the drivers' championship last year? Right? Like nobody cares about the second driver or the team's championship. Like no. Red Bull's celebrating. Like yeah, Max won the championship, and Mercedes are disappointed. And you're like, 
didn't you just win the constructors yeah, and, and you didn't like mate anyone all they care about is the number one driver yeah i agree because yeah the, the, the argument over which is more valuable to the team's driver or constructors title was absolutely settled in abu dhabi it is red bull after all i mean that's what they can use marketing wise i would say it's the world championship oh yeah the having having the world champion is way more marketable than being the constructors yeah. champion for sure absolutely let's uh, move on to the constructors champions mercedes was slightly better so what i will say is in this damage limitation phase of mercedes season things are going pretty well they're they're having an absolute shocker an absolute disaster of a season the second in the constructors championship they've eked out results they've at least been reliable and i think matt you know earlier in the show we were talking about the compromise between you know race setup and qualifying it feels like they sacrificed everything for a bit of race pace and they weren't bouncing up and down so much bit rubbish in quality but in the race you went oh they sort of came alive they were they were fight they were they were fighting the red bulls at least one of them yeah well it, it was surprising especially because the track was so very hot today it was a 40c where it had been in the 20s for the qualifying and the practices and normally mercedes tend to struggle a bit but such is the new design of the car that maybe they're going to have an advantage at the hotter tracks and I, and I think they were much better on the tires. I think when we saw Lewis fall away from Perez early in the race, I think um, I, I thought at the time maybe he was backing up to help Russell a little bit out because he was being chased by McLaren. Nah, that's DRS. Not that's not but I'm, I'm pretty convinced now he just went through a graining phase. And once he was back on it, he caught up to Perez. And frankly, had the safety car not intervened, I think he'd have been ahead of Perez um, as well on merit uh, could- after the first pit stops. Yeah, I think you might be right. But Christian, before we get to you, I just I had a, a, just a bit of a theory watching them in qualifying. They could not get the tyres switched on just at all. Like they were just doing warm up lap after warm up lap after warm up lap. And that does kind of speak to looking at mid stint in the in the races. And it, like, like Hamilton looked a bit weaker at the beginning and Perez got past him, and then the race sort of seemed to, to come to them. So, yeah, maybe they really did set up in, in that kind of way. Uh, Christian, then Jono. I was just going to say the exact same thing because oh, okay, <laughs> actually when Red Bull's uh, tires uh, were going off, the Mercedes tires came alive and that, that, that showed something. But I wanted to add that Mercedes actually run this, uh, this race with some sensors on you usually don't only use in, uh, in practice and they weigh oh, around man. one and a half kilo extra weight. Uh, and I, I'm pretty sure Mercedes, one of their main issues is overweight uh already so running 1.5 kilos extra for the entire race just to be able to measure stuff that says a lot about where mercedes is right now they they are not pretty i'm I'm sure they're not sure where they are basically so they're trying everything so i mean second in constructors that's pretty damn good Along with that, have you noticed how Mercedes are always quicker in the race so far this season? Yeah, you know, yeah. they're a great race car. They don't set it up for quality. I was very surprised with George Russell saying some BS that they were the fifth fastest car. Mm. I'm like, really? I'm like, how about next press conference? Just say, I think we're the 10th fastest car and you finished third or <laughs> something. Get, you get. Know? I, feel like, I feel like they get worse every time they do a press conference, but they get better in results. But um, they did a tremendous job. 
yeah, the Alpines and McLarens were there, but I knew that as soon as the McLarens had qualified ahead of, of Hamilton and Russell, or, or at least yeah. Norris did, I knew come the race that they were going to finish 30 seconds, 40 seconds ahead. That car is built for the race. They do such a good job on the tires, great drivers. Um, so if you're going to put your money on a poor qualifying performance, great points, put it on Mercedes. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, so I just want to say, and this might be wrong, but I've, I don't think this is out of the blue, this favouring of the, the race pace. I think this might have deep-rooted you know, almost eight years back, and we mentioned 2013 before, where they were qualifying like on pole by a second and then doing nothing in the race, and they might have had a, a schism and a reaction to that that sort of might have sent them the other way a little bit. Obviously, the domination of the early hybrid era might have disguised it, but also Lewis Hamilton's personal approach to a race weekend. He had, and this seems weird to like statistically the most successful qualifier ever, but he, he lost to Rosberg in 2015 and yet was, do- he lost the qualifying cup when they had a cup, yet he was dominant in the race. And I think Hamilton has long prioritized the race over qualifying. And I think even, even the race over the starts, which is why we've saw a lot against Bottas, against Vettel, and against Verstappen, a lot of the time it's Hamilton chasing. And we've talked about that first stint, Hamilton chasing and stalking, because he's prioritised that point of the race over other things. But hey, feedback at mistapex.net. Hey, email me. Tell me how right and handsome I am. Uh, Christian, then Matt. Just to, Maybe you can answer this one. Uh, maybe Jonathan. Uh, there was a radio from Hamilton at the end of the race when he was uh, like... Uh, I don't know why you did this to me or something like that. Where where did you put oh, me? And yeah, I didn't yeah, really yeah. understand that. But if if you looked at his pace from maybe the round the last twenty laps, he was consistently one point two seconds behind Russell, just outside the DRS range. Hmm. So something, something happened, happened there. Maybe maybe it was a team decision to give that to Russell. I'm not saying he could overtake him, but maybe Hamilton was told to stay behind. I think we're going to that very issue next but jonathan did you have a, uh, sorry jono did you have an unrelated point 
to that? Uh, no, I had related points, two oh, related okay. points. Number one, no, I didn't hear the radio message because I was in the mosh yeah. pit of 50,000 people <laughs> on the main straight, which we'll get to a little bit later. And number two, watching timing the whole race, Hamilton was quicker than Russell. And in the final stint, yeah, yeah, yeah. he was just in that 1.2 to 1.4 second range and could do nothing about it. Yes. Okay. I think it is worth noting that. And I don't want to take away anything from Russell's first proper podium. I know he had the the spa, the race that that wasn't two laps under the safety car, but a great result for Russell. Did luck into it, of course, uh, getting a a very cheap pit stop under the safety car. But, But you're right. I think Hamilton in this race, like in the other two races, just had that little edge over George Russell, which you, you probably could expect from a seven-time world champion embedded in a team and a new talented driver coming in. So that's nothing against George uh, George Russell at all, but a really, really interesting dynamic because you get to the point where your seven-time world champion is catching your new young star who you see a lot of future in and you like and you, you want to be all teamy about it, but they might still be thinking Hamilton's their guy this year. But in that situation where you didn't expect anything out of this weekend, you're suddenly in third and fourth place. I believe what they said on the radio was basically equivalent to hold station. I know it came out another way. And I also believe that is absolutely the correct choice, Matt. They could not have had their drivers scrapping for third place when they they basically had 15 and 12 points out of nowhere that they weren't expecting. Yeah, so what I love about this is there are three basic ways to look at what happened. Uh, option one is to go with what Mercedes said, literally. Hamilton had an engine overheating issue or was on the edge of overheating his car. <laughs> no, he didn't. <clears throat> to not, it was told to, to cool, literally yeah, yeah, to cool yeah, yeah. it, i.e. don't pass, don't attack yeah, yeah. Russell. Another way is, I think, also conveniently overlapping way is, well, look at where we are. If we let them race, Russell's tires go off, there's a crash, there's a lot of bad things that can happen here. Or we can walk home with the points we currently have in the bag, and I think that's reasonable. And then there's the, uh, there's the advanced tinfoil version of, we've decided to favor Russell over oh, yeah, no, 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 no. want him to have a podium. I don't find that to be the least realistic, but I think what it does set out is what Mercedes has done. If you drew a line that was the maximum points Mercedes might have gotten versus how much they've optimized the points they've gotten, in actuality, the only deviation will be the tricks they tried to play in the qualifying session with Hamilton that saw him not make Q2. Mm. Aside from that, they have maximized the points they are capable of, and there's not really any other team I've seen right now that has done that. And that speaks kind of scarily if they get on top of their if they yeah. get on top of their issues about where they're going to be at the end of the season. Race scenario. Hamilton is faster than Russell. Russell has burnt up tires defending what was at the time a podium position against Sergio Perez. The team have to come on the radio and say to him, Don't fight him, because tire management is going to come into it. Avoiding another pit stop, I think. So Let's Perez by, but he's already used up a bit of his tyres by then. Hamilton has got the pace. You can see him closing up to within DRS range. Then all of a sudden, you know, he drops back. The radio message they play is, um, you put me in a really difficult position here. I think this is code. Mercedes have done it before. The code for, for hold station has been stay off the curbs, uh, go into a lower engine mode when they were allowed to do that. Engines down, we're saving the engine. This time it was, oh, you're overheating. 
we know what that means. It means we're happy with we're happy with the result because then, if Hamilton overtakes George Russell, and 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 yes, he did have a, a pace advantage, but not enough so that he would just breeze by. It would have been dangerous. If you just say don't overtake Russell, we're taking the points here, and then he does, that's a big drama in the team. If they say, and that's on the team, if they say you've got cooling issues, don't overtake. We told both cars to slow down, and Hamilton ignores that and overtakes. What have we got? We've got multi twenty one when they were both told, no, both chill out. And Vettel went, nah. And I don't think Hamilton is the one to go, nah. So it was the perfect radio call from Mercedes. And I think, I, I, I reckon that's the position they put him in was by saying, you've both got a, a cooling thing and you've been told both to slow down. So now his difficult position is, if I overtake, I'm the baddie. That's, Christian, where am I? What do you think? What do you think? I think you're right. But I do want to add that Hamilton is probably top three best racing drivers ever and okay. Russell has done three races in his new team and yeah, he's yeah. second in the championship yeah. so I, I think it, with, within reason this uh, me he might be a bit faster but Russell is doing a really good job oh yeah absolutely but I think I think we're all in agreement that over the three race weekends Hamilton has just you know he's just looked like he's still got a little bit of a, an edge over over Russell at yeah. the moment at the moment, it can all easily change. Except, except Saudi Arabia qualifying. That's it. But apart from that, yes, he's been better than so Apart from Saudi Arabia yes, yeah, qualifying Saudi and this podium. Don't mention it, and Jonathan. <laughs> Why did you have to bring that up? It was unnecessary. <laughs> uh, Matt, I think before we move on from Mercedes, I just want you to just explain a little bit what you were saying about unlocking that potential. So just to give hopium, I think is the common term on Twitter these days, just to give hopium to any Mercedes fans and any Hamilton fans out there, how close do you think they are to unlocking that potential and where might we see it? How close are we? It's very difficult to say. But what I will tell fans of the team is that all of the predicted updates that we thought we were going to see haven't materialized. Instead, what Christian referenced earlier is we're seeing them adding sensor equipment to the car to fully understand the issue before they start spending time and development on new parts. So what I can say is when those parts show up, it's because Mercedes understands the issues and they know they have a fix for them. And when they do, what we're looking at is right now in the vicinity of probably seven to nine tenths a lap of pace. And understand the car they did this with today is a car that's basically had no development since the first race, unlike the Ferrari, unlike the Red Bull. So Matt, is this like 2009 where a team would bring a huge package to a brand new rule set and all of a sudden they're at the front of the grid? If you remember that the opposite example was Toyota, pole positions at Bahrain and everything, two races later at Monaco, 18th and 20th in qualifying. (laughs) Is this a season like that? Are we going to see that? 2000 and when? How, you, how you good know. do you think my memory is? No, I, I'm joking a bit with you, yeah. obviously. No, I think, I, think, I think if Mercedes understand the issue, they can build the parts to fix it. And if they build the parts to fix it, they're seven to nine tenths a lap. P1. Better than they are right now. And that puts them up with Ferrari, fighting with Ferrari and Red Bull for real on race pace mm. and on quality pace. Will they understand it well enough to do that? We don't know yet. Mm. I'd certainly say Barcelona would be the the big if they if they don't have something by Barcelona, it's maybe a bigger design problem than can be fixed in a single season. Well, well, they were due an upgrades package, weren't they? For yeah. this round, they didn't come. 
because they decided not to build the parts because they don't understand the issue yet. See, this is the order they're going in because their resource is limited. And that's why I say when those new parts show up, you know they figured it out. Okay, so we've got a lot to talk about and we do always, like we limit ourselves. I know it's a rod for our own back, but we limit ourselves to a strict hour. So we definitely want to get to some of the Aston Martin woes, the jumping improvement for McLaren. Of course, the the Albon stuff. I want to talk about a tire selection as well. But I feel like we do need to focus a little bit on Jono's trackside experience. What was it like at a Grand Prix? I'm so jealous on the Patreon pod midweek, we, were, we went round four of us, me, Alex, Chris and Matt. And I think mm-hmm. we, we didn't even have to take our socks off to count the amount of times we'd combined been live to a Grand Prix. So first time at Albert Park? No, probably 15th time, 10th, oh, wow. 15th time. Whoa, yeah, I've gone, okay. I've gone for many, wow. many years. Yeah, yeah, every single year I, I, I definitely go when it's available. Man, it's a race. Yeah. Like, I'm actually glad, and with no dis- I'm not going to name countries, but I'm glad I go to a country where the race is actually awesome. Um. It, they tried to make it, so it was very good. But I know, they tried you mean to make France, it like the, I know, I know. the the Dutch Grand Prix was not a Grand Prix. That was Tomorrowland, basically. It was like a five hundred thousand people music concert with an F one race in the background. <laughs> okay. They tried to do this pretty similar, um, but I'll tell you what: like sold out crowds. Yeah, there were capacity limits. The Fridays, the most people I've ever seen at a Grand Prix. It's it's Netflix, man. You got to put it down on Netflix. You know, I know it's the first race in three years there, but like, I've never seen anything like it in over a decade. Yeah, I, and, and how much could you? Where were you on in the ground? So what I normally do the Friday, I love. Um, you know, it depends. Some years maybe you get grandstand. Some years yeah, you just yeah. get general admission. Um, I'm not obviously lucky enough to to know like all these super expensive companies and get corporate passes and yes I, well I, you'll like, get there young man you'll get I, there. I think 99 percent of those people don't give a, a stuff about f1 which is the, yeah. the actual devastating part for us fans and the listeners of, of map who yeah. want to get into the paddock who will never <laughs> get an opportunity in their lifetime anyway the friday i love uh, to walk the track what i did notice is that with uh this is the first time in australia they've had 60 minute practice sessions Normally, with the 90-minute sessions, you're able to walk half the track for yes. one practice, half for the other. Today or, or Friday, you're rushing. You're, you're trying to get to each corner quickly, and it, it's just a bit hard to do. But um, that was enjoyable. The, the turn 11, 12, I think it's turn 9 now, one of the best places in the world you can see a Formula 1 car at, at full speed. Um, it's Ooh, amazing. Is that, is that the, 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 the left, the left right. right? The left right before yeah. the final section. Yeah, incredible, Carlos Sainz absolutely corner. incredible. Carlos Sainz yeah, the corner car- and the Kevin Magnussen corner, Denmark. Before Don't you, mention before you it. get too cocky. Yes, yes. <laughs> it, it, it used to be the the Timo Glock corner until Sainz uh, made a mockery <laughs> of himself. Um, Ooh, the one thing I will say is that, and it's it's awesome because that corner is is like what I found weird was the Haas was the only car throttling mid corner, and you can hear this stuff in person. You know, when you go to an mm. F one yes. track, yeah. Um, for the race, for anyone who's never been to a race who's planning on going this year, if you don't have grandstand tickets and you're just walking the track, make sure for the race you've got a screen, you've got commentary, and that's all mm. you need, you know? And then if you're allowed to track invade, bloody hell, get yourself down to turn <laughs> one, get yourself to the main straight, and absolutely get in the mosh. That's probably the favorite part right there is running yeah. straight to the main straight and getting in the mosh with everybody. I think I was right in front of the podium. You might be able to spot me in, in you know, my handsome face. Or, or ugly face, depending on what you think. Um, and the best part as well, another good part was um, after the race, just go to where all the drivers leave. You can do that in the morning where they all get into the track. Have a chat with anyone. Have a chat with, you can talk to Crofty. You can talk to different people as well from the TV compounds. 
awesome experience. Oh, Got to go to every bet. race if I could afford it. I, I wonder, so you said uh, that turn, is there a name for that turn nine? Left, right, before the final yeah. section. Is there uh, uh, the Timo Glock Carlos Sainz <laughs> tribute corner. Okay, yeah. so I'll take that as a as a no. But I would in the w- slag it says science s's. The science s's. So what we should do, as <laughs> you and it. you and me, Jono, as a cultural exchange, is you come and sit and you watch them going through Maggots Beckett's, and I'll sit and watch yep. it through that because Maggots Beckett's as well is, is probably the other yeah, the other one good. people point to where and it is spectacular. You're just seeing the power and the change of direction is is awesome. So um, I think I'll get the better deal with the weather if we if we do that that exchange. But I'm I'm, great, I'm glad you you managed to get there to the track and good vantage points. Uh, or is, what I found the one race weekend I found I found it frustrating because you only see your one part of the track. Mm-hmm. But like you said, you really hear the downshifts. You hear the inputs way more than you see them even on the onboards. I mean, Formula One's a, a TV sport, right? Yes. Like you can't yes. go there as a spectator and, and be like, oh, I can see the entire field and everybody, you know, all 10 football players. It, it's a TV sport. It's by far better to watch on TV, but to be there for a track experience, to walk around, see the drivers, see everything. You know, there are a lot of people I met who are just mainstream Netflix fans. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's not supposed to be condescending. No, no, but no, it's, it's not. true. But it has. That, it that's why they enjoy the yeah. sport. Yeah, it's it, because of that. And they they hated Formula One before Netflix. They thought it was boring, and they probably still do when they went to the racetrack. But the point is, um, you know, when you actually experience and see it in person, you change your mind. You know, you open. You've, you've got to be open minded like that. Yeah. Um, get yourself to a racetrack and not just f1 i know this is an f1 podcast but there are a flurry of racing series i know and i was a bit i was a, a bit i was a bit f1 centric and then uh, going along to a, a WEC event really opened my eyes qu- quite a lot and it, it blew me away there is there is nothing quite like being uh, at the side of the track but my goodness when it comes to watching it as a sport it, it possibly is a bit better on telly but look, let's move on because we've got to play a game Whose fault is it? Yay, we go. Whose fault is it? And we have to go back to qualifying and back into Q1. And if you ever feel useless, remember, there is a person at Aston Martin who has to fit and clean Lance Stroll's wing mirrors because he seems (laughs) absolutely incapable of using them. Uh, Maybe it's not straightforward. Let's see. Does anybody put that incident in qualifying down to Latifi? Uh, 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 It's 50-50, i got to admit. Can I just add to that? It's 50-50. Yeah, yeah. Why is he overtaking him after he let him through, number one? But Lance Stroll, uh, just remove the mirrors and make the car lighter. I reckon that's better because he's never going to use <laughs> just it. Just make it lighter. That's he's really never going to use him ever. Christian. I'm fairly sure he thought that Stroll was on a quick one. But he, it was very apparent when he overtook him that he was driving slow. So the chief was, okay, then I'm going to go for my one. But if you look at, from, look at it from behind, he he does unnecessarily close the gap in the corner. But, I mean, if he didn't knew he was there, yeah, uh, it's hard. I don't know. So let's get into Latifi's head. He got blue flags, stroll approaching. Team on the radio, stroll on a push lap. He does everything and a little bit more that he's supposed to to let stroll by at a, at a reasonably good place. Stroll goes around the corner, and then he slows way down. Now Latifi... He's supposed to be prepping his tires for his push lap. He's like, okay, well, Stroll has abandoned, so I'm going to go around him and get on with my day. This happens all the time. What doesn't normally happen is the driver that slows down then decides, <laughs> oh, you know, I'm just going to drive over to the other side of the road randomly and 
if the other driver that's going by me. Um, was it the Patreon pod where we had the discussion about Stroll and that streamable clip that had been doing the rounds on Reddit where it was like 14 instances of Stroll just crunching someone on the apex? I, might have been last Sunday's show. It might have been last Sunday's show. But yeah. the thing that struck me watching that, and I was like, oh my, yeah, he does do that. And I remember all those incidents is that the commentary team never blamed him. He didn't seem to get any penalties for them. Even when he crunched Albon at Saudi, he, he uh, Albon got the penalty for being crunched. And this is the first time he actually has got a penalty for doing it. So I'm thinking maybe Race Control found that Reddit post as well. And I'm not going to be over-patriotic about our podcast, but last year <laughs> I did mention this at the final race, the, 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 yeah. the season review, and we talked about it in the last race review. Map, uh, cutting-edge reporting... <laughs> Okay. We, we may be wrong, but we're first. We may be right, but we're first now. I'm telling you that much. Yeah. So I think I think Matt, people have kind of all race control have woken up to this particular issue. Stroll really does seem to have a, a blind spot at the apex where he just turns in and crunches people. Yeah. Well, if you watch the uh, world feed video, the shot from behind, it just it almost looks like he purposely turned in on Latifi and crashed him. But I don't think it is deliberate. I, I don't no. think it was deliberate either, but that's what it looks like. And I think that really got the stewards' attention in a way that some of the others ne- haven't necessarily. Okay. Uh, I guess the last thing on this... Oh, in fact, we will go up to some of Stroll's other driving. But sorry, Canada, but your, bill- <laughs> your billionaires are having a bit of a shocker so far. You know, Latifi has caused... Has basically caused a red flag in... Or, a red flag or safety car in the last four events or has been involved in it, even if we're not blaming him for this one. Um, Stroll crunching people on the Apex two races in a row. The Billionaire Club, when it was doing nobody any harm, I, I, I've said many times, I, I didn't mind Stroll in the end, apart from thinking it's a wasted space, because he kind of got on, he plumbed away, he was polite, he wasn't crashing into people. But at the moment, with this new generation of cars, the Billionaire Club is is causing chaos, is causing havoc. So I'm wondering whether this new car, this new regulation car, is just that little bit harder to drive and we might be seeing a regulation set that isn't going to suit the buy-in drivers. Jono, too harsh? No, because remember last year that Haas was terrible to drive, right? And we saw Mazepin two corners into the season spin. Mick Schumacher about two corners later or whatever spin. These cars are difficult, I reckon. Yeah, they're heavier and they should be a little bit more stable, but the heavier is also bad. You know, heavier can be a bad thing. Um, and that's a good thing because I, I remember five, maybe 10 years ago or something, the cars looked so easy. People were doing one-handed through a rouge and they're like, how can we make these cars harder to drive? Well, we're kind of achieving them. They're, they're yeah. sort of back to those Nigel Mansell dashing mustache kind of days where he, he's driving with, you know, such tough ability and then oh, get and send it through Monaco with one hand. That was brilliant. Don't let Nigel Mansell hear you say that. He'll he'll tell you. He'll tell you the cars were on fire <laughs> in his day. Every They had to put their own fires out and then restart them because that's what the regulations <laughs> made them to. <laughs> Matt. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I think you are. Um, I think you're onto something. The cars are much harder to drive, but to me, the fundamental difference between Stroll and Latifi here is that Latifi finished today's race without crashing into anything, mm. and he got no penalties. Stroll, I'm waiting to see a change in that behavior. So, yeah, if Latifi wants to mimble around at the back and cause no trouble, that's. Um... I guess that's less of an issue. Stroll, however, I think is uh, as something's changed in his approach. And I mean, he 
ended up shoving Bottas off track earlier today. Yep. Do we do we think that kind of move should be penalised? I think we were told that kind of move was going to be penalised, uh, Christian. But they they I mean, ultimately Bottas moved out of the way, so there was no contact, and and Stroll only moved into space that had been occupied. But if Bottas had held his ground, that's a crash. I was when I was watching the race. I was uh, when I had a thought. I did a note. Nice, nice. So I saw this thing happening, and I was like, I think uh, the way they've ruled so far was pretty good. So I wrote this, loving the the new racing rules. Bottas stroll left forty three restart blah blah blah, and then I had to write. But why the verdict? Because yeah. that was point one. That was exactly <laughs> what they were writing in the new rules. If you put someone off track, you, I mean, that's wrong. And he did that exact. And I don't understand what happened there because, mm. yeah, something was wrong. And, and I think the point is as well is to, if Bottas had just held his ground, I think there's no doubt, even if he just kept a little bit of the wheel on the track and Stroll had hit him, obviously no doubt that's Stroll's fault. And I think that would have been he covered. He did actually hit him, didn't he? Oh, did he? I was think there that contact? was wheel bang. Yeah, there was oh, wheel bang. Okay. But when you see it on board from, from Bottas, it was like, why is Bottas such a reserved driver why doesn't he do anything but actually he did all ah, he could okay well in that case all the more baffling then Jono. yeah well two things number one it's valtteri bottas did we ever see him really race in previous years um, number two true. he's not really going for a world championship there's no point proving your you know i'm a tough guy in p12 or whatever it was p10 and it was for p10 out. it was for p9 yeah, i think in fact it's for, it for points and so i you know you just have to sort of avoid the contact and be smart you're you're in a team who needs every point they can get this season that's why they've got an experienced driver mm. I'm, I'm actually very very surprised that uh yeah i know lance stroll got the penalty for saturday but with all those 14 or so incidents where he turns in on people and all this stuff I'm surprised they penalised Lance Stroll for that on Bottas and not the other 500 things he's done wrong. Oh, you mean, well, they penalised him for the Latifi one, but they didn't No, 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 they, for, the, for the Bottas one too. I'm actually surprised oh. he got an actual penalty. Oh, he did that. get a penalty. Oh, no, he didn't. Is that when he got the penalty? No, 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 no. Is that for the weaving? Yeah, the penalty no, see, was for the weaving. Is, this yeah. is the problem when you visit the racetrack <laughs> and you don't know what the hell is going on for most of the race. Well, glad you're here. <laughs> glad you're here. No, no, no. So the penalty was for the weaving and that's interesting in itself, Matt. Oh, okay. Matt. Yeah, it is. He got five seconds for that and then proceeded to drive around and slow everybody down so there was no more racing in front of him, which was, you know, admittedly he was, and I use the word with capital letters, entitled to. But we had a very, <laughs> we had a very similar incident between Magnuson and Alonso that also, that was investigated by the stewards and resulted in no further action. And there were two things about that that I noted when I read the decision. One was that both drivers agreed it was racing. Alonso didn't say that was completely unfair. And hmm. the other is the way the stewards wrote about it. It seemed like Magnuson had passed Alonso out of turn nine, and Alonso had tried to repass him into turn 10. And as a result, the stewards expected Alonso would have to make allowance for Magnuson's trajectory into turn 10. The same thing may have been the case for Stroll. I did not see a replay of that one, though. Yeah, yeah, uh, that one, of course, I didn't because, obviously, as I told you, I was getting prepared to invade the track because um, it was towards the end of the race. But with the weaving on the straight, I do remember that now when he got the penalty. Um, is that the same penalty that 
Max Verstappen got on the final lap of Abu Dhabi last year when he won the World Oh, no, he didn't get a penalty for that. Oh, sorry. Whoops. <laughs> no, oh, no, my, my no, bad. no. So you're they conflict- just started penalizing the that now. Yeah. So that's two, different, that's two different things, I think. One is uh, the behavior yeah. behind the safety car. I should have which- said that. We'll cover that um, a little bit more next next week, I think. But no, this was specifically for for the defending rules. And I think they haven't changed. On a straight, you can go all the way to one side to defend, and you can then go all the way back to the other side as long as you leave a car's width when you go all the way back. So you can claim everything on the first move, but on the second move, you must leave a car's width. And I think anything beyond that is also considered um, weaving as well. So uh, Aston Martin, obviously having a very, very torrid time, uh, Sebastian Vettel also losing it twice. Christian, he lost it in practice and also in the race. I just wanted to mention the uh, double pit stop. Oh, yeah, from Stroll. Yeah, yeah, go on, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think that needs a heads off because I love that. That was strategy numero uno. They could basically run to the end of the race. If Williams had done the same, Albon would have been further up. And and also so, uh, if, kudos to uh, I'm sorry you asked about Fettel. I was no 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 that's fine that, that. no that's fine no that's fine um so yes so but I do have a thing about Fettel. Oh, okay and, I mean the guy hasn't driven the car this was his first I mean and you could see it was so obvious he he has no experience it's completely new for him it's it wasn't a, a pleasant thing to watch I think well he did do testing. He did do testing. And don't worry, we are going to talk about Albon next. I just, I want to say this thing about Vettel because he didn't look well. He, and like he was off for COVID. And as we know, COVID dissipates and affects people in different ways. So long COVID is a a thing. He, He looked very much out of sorts. The dropping it in the race was so reminiscent of his Ferrari days. And he's made a couple like that now, Max. I remember 2017, 2018, you were defending him, which is fair, and saying, you know, they, they weren't delivering him a car with a planted rear, which is what he liked. But he's made that same kind of error in the Aston Martin as well. And it's a, it's a mistake that we don't see a lot of other drivers making, perhaps a hangover from not having that double diffuser in the Red Bull anymore, where the rear was very planted. And he was accelerating in that Red Bull where other people were still in the braking zone. But that kind of slow speed getting on the power too early and losing it, that has dogged him now for the last five years. Yeah, well, I mean, and if you think about it from a logical point of view, it all makes sense. He's been, how many races has he done? This is his first one, right? Yep. How much practice did he have this weekend? Oh, that's right, almost none. Has he been sick? Yeah. So what do you do? You fall back on your habits in the race. I mean, it was amazing. He managed to finish 18th in the single quality lap he got. I was pretty impressed with that, if I'm being honest. But it's not a surprise to me with a with a full a car full of fuel and zero practical experience and still recovering from an illness that he would make a mistake like that. I, I, mm. And I, I would make the same defenses I made last uh, time, which is let's just see where I, this yeah, goes. No, let's give him a chance to like... Get back into it no. before we just put on our judgy pants and yeah, say I know. He's Look, we've got two hats on here. The one where we know that we can't make conclusions out of three races, let alone one race. And we've got the other one where we where we do see something and go, that looks worrying. And I, and I will say, Jono, that mm. he looked he looked like a like a dad who had tipped up <laughs> to an F one race. And that's not no offense to him. He's getting on a bit in sporting terms. He has got he's got like three kids. Three, hasn't he? I think he's got three mm. kids. Get a hobby set. Get a Netflix that's now, account. Uh, Jesus. 
So, so you're, you know, for the people with kids here, because I don't know what that's like, is that Horrific. one hour less sleep a night for every kid that you have? <laughs> is that how it works? Well, you might not sleep at all, but, you know, he looks to me every <laughs> bit. Hours. Like I said, look yeah. at Alonzo, who's older mm-hmm. and he's not a family man. He still looks hungry. He still yeah, looks he's driven. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he looks cut. He looks like he's, he's a warrior. He's up for a fight. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he would have finished. He would have won today. If it wasn't for bad luck, he would have finished pole twice yesterday and won today with 40 points. Um, but if you look at Vettel, he he looks like a guy ready to retire, frankly. So before this race weekend, I watched Australia 2019, which was the last time we obviously raced here. And Sebastian Vettel, I was like, oh, my God, he's quicker than Leclerc. And he's, he, oh, my God, I forgot about this Vettel. <laughs> yeah. So. That was the time, and I remember that segue now is five races later, or, or was Canada, or six races later, and since that Canada 2019 race where he got the penalty, he hated it, he's just never been the same. I don't know if he lost passion for the sport, he said it after the race, but since that race, something changed, and I don't know what, but something changed, and he hasn't been the same driver since that date. Yeah, well, I don't want to make it any worse for Vettel, but... As you know, part of my research is I go and I look at the championship standings in the drivers and constructors. And when I when I copied that to put it into the notes that we use, I, I kind of noticed that Vettel's not even listed as a driver. Oh. <laughs> that was after the oh, race okay. finished today. Hey, look, Vettel's got a lot of fans, you know, and, and, and I, I make no secret of the fact that, you know, Vettel was my baddie when he was a, a Red Bull. And in WWE style, he's he's turned and he's become like a, a, a goodie now, you know, like like The Rock in the Fast and the Furious franchise. He started off as a baddie. Now he's a goodie. To, to me at the moment, he, he doesn't he doesn't look like someone who's on the up. He looks like someone, um, I don't want to say collecting a paycheck, but. That that is what it looks like now, and it is our judgy pants. And EJ in the live chat said, "Can we buy uh, judgy pants in the map merchandising shop?" Yes, you can in a variety of sizes. Actually, we do have some Mist Apex merch as well. So go to mistapexpodcast.com and click on the merch tab. And we do have some things. We don't make a lot of profit from it, but if you do want um, a Mist Apex pillow or t-shirt they are there i will refresh them but it's it is there and uh, and you can go and help yourself to that but I, I would suggest that if you wanted to really support us rather than just get a pretty t-shirt you go to patreon.com forward slash missed apex and see if any of those patron tiers appeal to you join us in our patron slack group you can also um, get extra content me and matt twice a month just jump on the live stream and we just do a, a more relaxed extra episode where we kind of talk about our own stuff and some non-F1 stuff as well and you can get an ad-free feed if you're listening to the podcast only version Um, and last chance to catch up and get a karting ticket to come and join us at Ella Park Uh, that's in Suffolk uh, on the Suffolk coast and you can join me Matt Kyle Alex Brad Chris Catman Turner I think he's coming as well and Chris Stevens on commentary and Ellen as well coming down to race. Uh, we've got 47 drivers. We can squeeze a, a few more in as well. So go to mrapexpodcast.com forward slash karting. Oh, also follow me on Twitter because I'm on like 9,991 followers. Get me to 10K. I need a win. Alban, that's where we're going next. S- briefly, Christian touched upon it and i know matt is very impressed with albon's performance christian thinks it could have been more so christian tell us why it could be more and uh, matt tell us what impressed you 
Um, I'm not going to tell you why it could be more. I don't think it could have been much more, but he, he could have missed that last pit stop. With, was she seven or something like that? If he had done the same as Stroll at the start of the race. But I mean, that's so easy <laughs> to say. The, the most amazing thing is uh, he the, when, when Williams arrived in Australia, they do like a prep with the drivers and stuff like that. And this is our estimated... Uh, uh, this is where we think we're going to be. And they were certain it's going to be 19 and 20th. That That's just for sure. It's not even going to be, forget about 18. So being in the points was just so overwhelming for everyone, I think, in the Williams team. And it's it's so deserved. And if anyone deserves it, it's uh, I like Latifi. He's a nice guy, but he's not the best racing driver. Albon, on the other hand, he's both a nice guy and he's a very fast racing driver. And he's so humble about it, and he's so honest about it, and I love that. So kudos to uh, to album today. That was basically my 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 driver and event of the day. And I would agree with you. And as everyone knows, I am the person to come to when you need quick, snappy responses. <laughs> Give it but to here us. Here we go. It's funny because you're not that person. No, That's not why. at all. That's where the humor was derived from. <laughs> Self-deprecating, I think, is what they call that. Um, go with it. All right, fine. Be that way. So here's the thing. Albin, like Magnuson and Alonzo, is on this hard tire to start strategy. And the safety cars are just terrible timing for them. They cannot take advantage of them. Because unlike Stroll, who was already at the back because he was, what, penalized? And I don't know. Anyway, doesn't matter. They weren't at the back. So taking advantage of the early safety cars didn't work for them. But the virtual safety car, lap 43, Alonzo, Magnuson, Bale, Albin stays out, and now he's in seventh place with Ocon behind him. And the first amazing thing is for the next 14 laps, 15 laps, he stays. He loses two seconds to Ricardo ahead of him on tires that are twice as old as Ricardo's. So if I'm Williams already, I'm like, oh, man, look at that. We've got actual real midfield pace. And whoever the strategist was that thought this up said, you know what, if he can drive that fast for the next umpteen laps, <laughs> he'll just be ahead of Joe. And in fact, when he went into the pit lane, he was 20.1 seconds ahead of Joe. And that 80 kilometer an hour speed limit we talked about made all the difference. And finally, they thought, let's just put him on the soft tire so there's no warm up. He came out three tenths of a second ahead of Joe for the last points position out of the pit lane and stayed ahead of him around to the end of the race. And for me, that was just spectacular plan. I mean, like to, to make that call and say, yeah, let's just bet it all on being crazy and going mm. to the end of the race before we pit and having it work. Oh, you just don't see that every day. Okay. I want to get onto whether the overcut undercut is better because you talked about what the tires are like coming out of the pits. But just to, just to end uh, this bit with uh, in our live chat, uh, Vietze has said, would this have worked for Albon had there not been any safety cars? Is this what Christian was alluding to, that basically Stroll's tactic was was hampered by the safety cars, whereas Albon's was made by the safety cars? Are we sure we're not over-egging what Williams and Albon achieved, as spectacular as it was, Christian? Yes, uh, Alonso and Magnussen did the hard tire as well, as Matt just said. And their strategy didn't work out at all they again they were screwed by the uh, safety cars and the time they were the, their timing uh so when they pitted in the last 
third of the race, they were basically, I think Magnuson came out last, actually. So, and they have to drive through this train. Um, it, it didn't work on a normal strategy. It only worked because, yeah, crazy times, I think. Uh, okay, so what I'd like to do, if that, if this is okay with everyone, is I'd like to move on to the podium. That's all right. So overall, a a Grand Prix like an old school Grand Prix, and some people I saw not too impressed with the action on track. Probably a little either grumpy at waking up early on a European time schedule or, frankly, blind drunk if you're in the Americas. And uh, and it wasn't the same DRS swapping. However, that, given the low expectations I generally have of a race at Albert Park, I felt was, was entertaining and intriguing. And more importantly, it gave us more clues to the puzzle of who is best going to unlock this 2020 season. Ferrari, to me, still feel like a team that have started well and are looking around in surprise that no one is catching them yet. They were celebrating this result hard. I don't think it was expected to dominate like this. I don't think they were expecting to be many, many points clear. I don't think they were expecting to have Leclerc with a 40-point lead. I think they are still bracing and waiting for Red Bull and Mercedes to catch up with them. But my goodness, are they enjoying it while they have it. It's an intriguing season. It's uh, one of the most uncertain seasons and openings we've had for a very, very long time in Formula One. And I'm very much looking forward to the rest of the calendar. Here on Miss Apex, we give out awards. The first thing we do is give out a, a good thing award. I'm going to start. I never normally start with the awards, but I'm first going for Perez's overtake of Lewis Hamilton. And I could extend that actually to just how Perez and Hamilton race together in general. They have given us some good racing over the last couple of seasons. Uh, but the I think it even caught Hamilton out a little bit around the outside that he just went for it. And in the end, I think Hamilton saw that and went, oh, oh, fair play. You know, fair play. Like it's not worth defending if you're actually going to have the neck to do that. Especially when we saw the Danes and the Spaniard earlier in the race going off. That's a risky place to overtake. So I'm going to give Perez's overtake on Lewis Hamilton my thing of the weekend. Jono, thing of the weekend for you. The event, going to the event, the fans, it was over 400,000, almost 420,000 people attended over the course of the entire yeah, weekend. You're so one of them, though. So you're giving yourself I, thing of the weekend. How, how is that even allowed? Yeah, I know. No, what? No, don't, don't say that. All right. Everybody gets it except for me. I, I get a okay. terrible award. Um, <laughs> I, we, we, we'll, actually, no, that's you ruined it. I was going to give myself the bad award. <laughs> sorry, anyway. Jonathan. Um, but yeah, that's it. Just for the fans. It was an absolutely great experience. Um, well done, Australia, as always. And uh, the person who uh, the actual good things I'm actually going to give it to for serious is it's two things on the main straight. The person who lit up the flare. I'm not sure if that was caught on, on television. Um, I don't condone lighting up flares, but it was exciting. If the, the Dutch second can thing do it. Was, the second thing was the person who climbed the, uh, the crash barrier and did about five shoeys after the podium. <laughs> um, well done to that man as well. When you said, well done, Australia, the whole yeah. of uh, Baku just went, oh, that's our thing <laughs> to say, well done, Baku. Christian Pedersen. That was very Australian, though. I like that. Uh, my thing of the week uh, uh, could 
be any week this year, I think, but it goes to Ross Braun and Nicholas Tombasius, Pat Simmons and Rob Smedley for basically taking this serious and the Liberty FIA, letting them take it serious and producing something crazy. It's a completely new car yep. and when they are maybe only half a second uh, between them, it's amazing. I just love it. And kudos to those guys and the way this has all been handled. And it's, it's maybe the new regulations and the variety of approaches that the teams can take mean that when we go to different tracks and have different challenges, the different solutions change up the order as well. So at the moment, yeah, every new track we go to is a is another nod to the regulations. Exactly a new gift. A new gift. Matt, do rumpets. You've got social media. You're at MattPT55 on Twitter. They can that be, would be me. Your yeah. friend on Facebook as well. You don't mind that? Search for Matt Turumpets on Facebook too. Not at all. I love having friends. Nothing better. Friends are brilliant. As long as they don't come to your house. As long as you meet them at a neutral venue where they don't want to come to your house and use your stuff. I don't mind friends. What's your thing of the weekend? Well, you already know what it's going to be because of how I talked about it on the show. It's the Albert thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Williams scoring points. They're no longer last in the championship. But really, what's most exciting to me is that, for whatever reason, at this track, they showed actual real midfield pace. And no one thought they would be able to do that based on the first two races of the season. So I'm excited now that they there are going to be some races where Albon and maybe even Latifi, I mean, you know, things can happen might be mixing it with a midfield proper and uh, we're going to have even better racing as a result. I'm happy to go out on a limb and say that it won't be Latifi, but if Albon can get in the mix, I'm being a bit negative on Latifi at the moment and Stroll, but I'm going to stick by it for the moment because that's how I feel. And I always tell you how I feel on Missed Apex. Sounds like you hate Canada, Spanners. What's it does, doesn't it? It sounds like I'm super yeah. Canada racist. But um, <laughs> look, look, I will counter that. I, I go to all Ryan Reynolds movies. I'm there opening weekend. So I'm not Canadian. Sounds like a, you're a girl? I'm not a no, Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, can, you're a girl hating Canadians? What is going on? I, I'll admit Ryan Reynolds <laughs> blurs the lines. I'll admit that. Right true, very fun. true, very true. <laughs> um, let's do our Bad Thing Awards, which is the Missed Apex Award. Oh, no, you missed the apex. This is where we definitely do put on our judgy pants a little bit, and I ask the panel to say what is their their bad thing of the weekend, and it could be a person, it could be a Marshall falling over. Poor Marshall. Uh, but let's go to Jono first. Jono, what's your, your missed apex award this week? Uh, find me. I'm going to do two things again. I don't care. So here we go. N- number one is... You'll ride your track in- You don't care. The, the, the track invasion. Every year for over a decade, I get closer and closer <laughs> to the podium. And I was about to set the record this year for right in front of the podium. Nice. But the Marshall, was, we were at the only Marshall post where they didn't let us through. We're on the main straight, like near one of the grandstands. And the guy's like, no, no, no. Like, we're not letting you through. And I was like, but the entire track of... 50 million people who attended the Grand Prix are running on the track, but you're not going to let us through the one exit that is available on the main straight. And then eventually we made it through and I didn't break my record, but I got a good spot. That's number one. <laughs> okay. My number two thing is people with corporate passes or people who know how to get into secret areas of Formula One who don't give a crap about the sport. They can buzz off, all right, those people, because I'm sick of them. And uh, that is a pure jealousy. Yes, I agree. But I'm going to speak on behalf because I know all the map listeners of the Missed Apex podcast 
of <laughs> vowing for me to say this, but we are sick of people with money and people with corporate sponsorships and everything getting in these sections and we are diehard fans and we will never have the experience of getting in these garages or getting in a yeah. car or getting in some of these experiences that these people get okay. give us these experiences I mean, i'm I, having a rant it's annoying i agree with you but i'm on slightly shaky ground because estrella galicia invited me as part of a uh, oh, ferrari hospitality you're one of them sorry one of them spanners and, uh, and sorry, mate. i'll admit in the middle of the day i did get a bit squiffy and I had a bottle of beer in a place you're not meant to, which like directly over the pit lane. And I got like told off and directed back in. And I looked around at like a wall of glass and I didn't know where to go. And I had to like pathetically ask like, which way is back to the place with the f- nice food and the champagne? So, <laughs> so I think it's me that you're complaining about, Jono. Uh, Sorry, mate. I Chris, didn't mean to do that. Christian, yeah. who missed the apex for you? I, keep, I know this is of, you can't do this, but I'm just going to add this to, to Jonathan's. Without these people, it would be F2. So I'm, I'm just saying you need those people if you want it at that. Uh, I'm, I know they're not the best, but that's just how it is, unfortunately. <laughs> My uh, thing, of, well, nothing of the week is uh, basically Aston Martin. Oof, uh, yeah. if, you, if you let your, your, your rich owner decide what's up and down in a Formula One team, you're going to fail miserably. And that is what we are witnessing here, I think. It's not. It's not good, is it? It's not good. And no. is the driving force ultimately behind making a, the best Formula One team and making the decisions day to day that will get them up the grid, or are the decisions motivated day to day by what is best for Lance Stroll? And unfortunately, like if if Vettel picks up and has a great season, then I, you know, obviously, I withdraw and I take it back. But I, I have the feeling they're we're watching, you know, Sebastian Vettel on a almost a farewell tour which is not the optimal for 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 Aston Martin. And Lance Stroll is not a top-class driver and is only there because his dad has bought the team. So that also might not be optimal for, for engineering and not might not be the easiest way to make a car. And I, I do get stick for Stroll hating every time I say stuff like this, but I, honestly, it's not like a personal vendetta. I just honestly believe he's not the correct driver for a team that has ambitions to go up towards the front of the grid. Uh, at me, if you want. Oh, at Spanners Ready. Come on. I'm the best one. Follow me. Jono, uh, what's your Twitter before I move on? Because I never remember. I know. Uh, don't, please don't comment on it. It's uh, at Johnny S8, J-O-N-N-Y-E-S-S-8. We talk about this every podcast. Yeah. Every variation of my name is covered. And I'm not going to write, do one of those handles where it's like, Jonathan Simon F1 because I don't just you know do work for Formula One. There's so many different motorsports and sports and categories and different things. Why don't you call it Jono Race Cars and then it would be like follow Jono Race Cars? Well, because I am not my career is not heading in just race cars direction. You know, mm-hmm. I want to start broadcasting basketball and different sports and getting into maybe non. Okay. okay, I'm gonna. Do you know? What? Yeah. I'm gonna stop you there because basketball is the latest crap for tall people. <laughs> okay, uh, Matt, who missed the <laughs> apex for you? This is kind of a hard one because. Well, Aston Martin has already taken, of course. Yeah. But I'm, I'm sort of on the fence between Signs and, and Alonzo. Ooh, really? Oh, okay. Do Signs because mine's Alonzo. Please do Signs. Okay, fair enough. All right. Mm-hmm. I'll take Signs. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't rate him any less than I did at the beginning of the season. I think if there's anyone who's going to put up a serious challenge to Leclerc in the same team, it's going to be Signs because he has, he's good at a couple of things that Leclerc has shown himself to be not quite as good at. But 
between the miseries of what happened to him in qualifying and the disaster of the race, which really came down to him just thinking the tire was fully switched on when it wasn't quite. It's, it's been just such a massive setback for him. Uh, and, and, and it, it just, he's, it's such a rare thing to see from him, quite honestly. Uh, it's a yeah. shock. So yeah, I think he and Ferrari a bit as well with him absolutely missed the apex this weekend, but I do believe they will probably sort it out for Imola. No, okay, Matt, after the show, we're going to record all our ad reads like now. Well, your voice okay. is like that before it goes back to normal and rubbish. My Miss Apex Award, <laughs> it does go to Alonso and the continuing Alonso PR. I mean, in a way, I love it and adore it, but it misses the Apex for me because he just makes wild claims. I know that it had potential. I know that Alpine had some potential this week. But, you know, he's going, and even last week, we should have won that race and we should have won this race. We were going to be on the podium this week. It's an exaggeration. And, uh, you know, and he always goes on about... You know, that would have been the best ever. This was my greatest performance. You can only use that line so many times, and he's definitely overused it. So for me, that misses the apex. Well, that is the end of our race review. You can't follow uh, Christian Pedersen because he refuses. He's too cool for social media. So you'll just have to make do with looking at... I'm on the Slack. Oh. Everyone can write me whatever sent their wow, news. Like. That's good. Well, that's that's good. In that case, support us in our Patreon, uh, uh, patreon.com forward slash Mr. Apex, if only to speak to Christian in our Slack group, in our forum. And you can follow Jonathan Simon. Like, we're not going to make him repeat that terrible thing, but <laughs> if you look in the show notes, the links to all the things we've talked about are there because of mm-hmm. Matt. Matt puts them there. Follow him at MattPT55. Of course, follow me. I'm the best one at Spanners Ready and join our Facebook group and stuff like that. Let me tell you what's coming up. We didn't get the opportunity to speak to Will Buxton last week on Tuesday, but we are rebooked to do it this Tuesday at 8pm and we'll be doing that live. We're also going to, it's a really packed week, so no patron podcast this week. We're also going to catch up with Sean Kelly, who is our F1, uh, the F1 stat man. He provides all the statistics to all your major broadcasters. Fantastic dude. So we're going to have a chat with him and probably put that out on the Thursday. And then on Sunday, we're going to drop in with Jules and Antonia, uh, for just a new show. And I think we'll, we'll probably invite Matt along to do that too. But wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Mr. Apex Podcast. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>